Welcome to Litigation Strategies, the podcast that discusses all things litigation, from filing a small claims lawsuit to closing arguments in a murder trial. We dive into handling a case from beginning to the end. Your co-hosts are Daniel Coble and myself, Joe Berry, former assistant solicitors for the Fifth Judicial Circuit and currently in private practice. We're pleased to have you with us, and now, this episode of Litigation Strategies. Welcome to Litigation Strategies. This is your co-host, Joe Berry, along with your other co-host, Daniel Coble. Joe, I'm excited about today's episode. It's, it's a complicated matter, but it's one that's kind of in your field. Tell us about it. It's actually simple. Seems complicated, but it's not, and it, it is up my alley. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite topics. It's eminent domain. You might think it's boring. It's not to me. It's one of our practice areas at Lewis Babcock and something I've, I've really enjoyed doing in private practice. Well, Joe, I haven't been in law school in over a decade. So just tell me what is eminent domain in the you most basic sense? A half a class worth of eminent domain in, in a property law, maybe in law school. I don't know if it's if it's how much it's glossed over, but you don't hear too, too much. But it's a, it's a constitutional right, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. You're, you're coming out of the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution, which prohibits taking of private property without just compensation. It's also embedded in the South Carolina Constitution, which you may or may not know exists to folks out there. There's a South Carolina state constitution, which actually on the domain note, affords a little more protection to South Carolina landowners. Some folks in other states may not have quite the same protections that we do here. And then ultimately, it's a, it's a creature of statute. There's an eminent domain procedure act, which really sets forth the, the statutory framework for how this stuff works in South Carolina. Well, I had a professor in law school and he made us, I think it was for civil procedure. He said, you know, you have to explain the rule, whatever rule it was, like you're explaining it to a fifth grader. So if you were explaining eminent domain to a fifth grader, you know, and and not you in fifth grade since you were, you know, right, above right. and beyond your peers, but yeah, to a yeah. normal, reasonable fifth grader, what is eminent domain? <laughs> the, the objectively reasonable fifth grader. Um, <laughs> Always lawyers. Eminent domain is the process by which the government can take private property for a public purpose. And the key is a public purpose. It has to be for something like building a road or extending a sewer, things along those lines. It can't necessarily be like, we want to take your property and, and give it to this private developers. So they can build well, up. well, then let me ask you about this. And, you know, speaking of constitutional issues, and I believe, I can't remember the name, but I believe it was up in Connecticut, that whoa, famous Kilo. Oh, I don't remember that because the- not a fifth grade conversation anymore. It was, I believe, a five to four decision with Kennedy siding in favor of it. I, I'm, is that I'm, I'm is it still good law? And that's federal. That's U.S. Supreme Court. That's the U.S. Constitution. In South okay. Carolina, we have more rights. So you can maybe get away with taking for a private development in another, but you couldn't or you shouldn't in South Carolina. So that is that's a great point. And, and these laws do vary from state to state. There's different pro procedural frameworks, protections, things that you have to do, can do, et cetera. So it is unique to each state. And in South Carolina, we do have a, a few more protections, thankfully. So what is the process if, and well, first off, what is the state government? Is it the governor's office? Is it DOT? Is it counties, cities? Sure, all of the above. And it gets fun when you've got a one governmental authority condemning another governmental authority, so to speak. And that, that gets a little spicy. And then you get in a little priority areas. But that's when, now we're really, now we're, now we're in grad school. We'll, we'll say that for another episode, part we're two. We're out of elementary school. So yeah, it's, it's governmental authorities. It can be any of them, really. Uh, 
they all, for the most part, are vested with the authority. There's some inherent authority in the state, and then there's some all uh, uh, statutory authority, you know, passed down to municipalities and even, you know, some private entities or quasi-private entities, you know, Dominion Energy can come take some of your property for power lines. And so there are, you know, utility easements as well, not necessarily governmental. But yes, governmental authorities have the right, by and large, to take your land as long as it's for a public purpose. If it's not a public purpose, then you can do what's known as a right to take challenge to basically stop them. But those are those are the unicorns. We don't we don't see too many right to take challenges in South Carolina. Well, you briefly mentioned mentioned utilities and power lines. What are other examples of why they a, a local government or a state government would take your property? Well, roads are the biggest one. DOT, as you mentioned, but also the counties. Their road widenings or road improvements, safety projects for the roads are are are, are very common. That's a lot of what DOT, Department of Transportation, does across the state and. and counties that those are, those are the bulk of the of the cases that we see and so if a county decides that they're doing a project what's the process for the county do they just start digging it up and or do they have to give proper notice or how long does what is the process well from the governmental side there's a whole other set of what they have to do so there's environmental permitting and there's there's all sorts of alternatives and, and, and the selection process and, and Plan, and, and we won't really get into the, that side of, of the governmental practice and the, and the governmental representation and what you have to do from the from the landowner side and from you know you know people in the public. What you'll see is they'll announce the project. They'll have some public information available. They make the plans available. They'll have some input sessions with the public, and then when it gets down to actually acquiring properties, you'll have a right of way agent come to your door. Certainly, DOT, for example, will hire an outside company, works with them, uh, their agent, to go acquire right-of-way. And the right-of-way agent will, will come and discuss your property with you, talk about the project, how it may impact, and ultimately the, they will convey an offer for that property. And is that offer, what kind of offer are we talking about here? Just, is it a good offer usually, or does it just depend on what the property is? Without maligning any of our well-intentioned governmental entities and, and agents, you know, sometimes there's a little, this can be a little low sometimes, more often than not, perhaps. I mean, they've got jobs to do. They're trying to be efficient and make efficient use well, of what's it, dollars. What's it based yeah. on? Do they just look sure. at your house and say it's, no. you know. That is, that's, great. That, that, that's what this is all about. It, it, it's, it has to be predicated on, well, just compensation. They have to provide just compensation. That's the key phrase from the Constitution. And what that boils down to is fair market value. You are entitled to the fair market value of your property that they are acquiring. And they may be acquiring part of your property, and they may be acquiring all of your property. If they're acquiring part of your property, say a little edge sliver, or maybe they're taking some access, right? They taken the front edge, but also cutting off one of your two drives if you're a commercial property, or you're losing some, you know, right in, right out. Now you're redu- restricted to right in, right out because there's a median out there and they're taking some of your property. You can also be entitled to, and you are entitled to, uh, compensation for the damages to the remainder of your property. So it's it's what they're physically taking, but also how it's damaging the rest of it. So and you get you get yeah. both what they actually took, and then also essentially the decrease in what's left over, potentially. Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. And that's on the partial take, if any. And and what that key phrase is, what the legal phrase is, what the 
what the fight is all about is fair market value. Fair market value is, is widely accepted as the, the price a, a willing buyer would pay a willing seller with neither party under compulsion to buy or sell. So it's an objective standard. It's a, what's this property really worth? And that's what you're trying to get at. You're not trying to get a windfall for the landowner. You're not trying to get a windfall for the government. It's, it's what's fair. And so we fight about what's fair. Well, if, if someone comes knocking on my door now, let's say they offer, let's just say $5,000 for, you know, two feet of my front yard. And I say, no. Great front yard. I love that. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah, you call I, me. I have, the first I thing you do is you call it. me. You yes. call me, and then I tell you, you take that money and run because that's, well, that's a good value. Well, what if I think because I put a lot of effort into to mowing that front two feet that I think it's worth six thousand dollars? Can but, I negotiate? And this is absolutely. before attorneys are involved. Can absolutely, I, and you should. You, know, you should talk with the Broadway agent. You can absolutely make a counter offer. Obviously, case by case, you know, consulting with attorney is always a good thing to do, and you know. You may be able to negotiate yourself. You may be able to negotiate it better with an attorney. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it really is case by case on that. But, and one thing you can also do if it's more complicated than just the two feet is you go hire your own appraiser. So one of the things the government has to do, required to do when they make an offer is provide you with an appraisal substantiating their offer. They're not just making these numbers up. They, they hire an expert appraiser who does an appraisal of your property. And their offer is predicated on that and they provide it to you. They have to statutory requirement. And you have the right to go get your own appraisal. You can look through what they've done, kind of argue it with them, negotiate it, maybe come to agreement, maybe not. Oftentimes for clients we work with, we'll need to then go get our own appraisal. And that's, there's quite a few in the state. Um, everybody's heard of bank appraisals, but condemnation appraisals can be their own special, little unique area. It's a little more, a little more involved in your regular bank appraisal, particularly in those partial takes when you're dealing with those damages, the remainder of the property, that's when you're really going to need an appraisal. By and large. Are there specific, cause yeah, I know when I sold my house, you have to get it appraised and you just call someone, they come out. Are there specific appraisers who do this so they can value the property taken as well as the decrease in the value? Or is this just anybody can make an appraisal? Well, I, well, technically, you got to have you got to be licensed to to do. And there's a whole governing authority and their industry standards for for who is licensed to be an appraiser. And there's different levels of um, certification. Which are NAIs, for example, your your highest. Yeah, yeah. Getting in the weeds now. You get, get, if you want the best, get an NAI. This fifth grader, he's now in high school. We expect a little bit more out of him. Well, let me ask <laughs> well, you this: So you got the government. They come on. They they want part of your yard for oh, street widening. They offer you the $5,000. You you can negotiate it. You can attempt to negotiate it. What happens, though, if that property has sentimental value and you say, I'm not selling? So here's the, well, twofold. Sentimental value is a bummer because I'm sentimental about trees, for example. I love me a nice, you know, oak, hardwood. I know, you know, it's, uh, you know, they take out your, 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 the tree you planted when your, your kid was born X amount of years ago and yada, yada. Sentimental value is not fair market value. And for businesses, for example, lost business profits, for example, are not compensatable. They're not compensable. So there's there's issues like that. This stuff may impact you badly, but some of those impacts may not be may not be compensable, like I said. And you can't just say no, right? Unless they are not taking for a public purpose, they have the right to take the property. And if you can't come to an agreement, then what they do is they file a notice of combination. And they, they go through some steps and they, they formally and legally condemn your property 
that $5,000 they offered you, they deposit it with the clerk of court and you would be in litigation with, with, with the, you know, whether it's DOT or the county or whoever it may be. And, and what uh, is this? A, is this federal or state court or probate court? Which court does this so go to? Everything is this is court of common pleas. This is state court. There was usually court. It can be now. There's some. We're not getting into inverse condemnation. This is all. We've been talking about. Yeah, I see the the, the folks at home can't see Daniel's face. I had a so, flashback to property class, and I haven't heard that phrase. Since I can't tell if his eyes ago. glazed over or, or what. No, no, um, that's. Well, wait, tell me what we're talking about now, then. We're talking about direct condemnation. So eminent domain, another word for uh, eminent domain is condemnation. You'll hear them referred to the same. And what we're talking about is direct condemnation. When the government comes to you to acquire some of your property for their project. Sometimes, however, the government's doing a project or doing something. They actually aren't taking any of your properties. They don't come to you. They don't knock on your door. They don't make an offer, but they've done something that impacts your property rights. Like and, if they put a big road beside your, if you're in a residential neighborhood and they decide to put an interstate through your your neighborhood, maybe. Uh, I, mean, I feel like this is a law school ex- exam. I'm trying to get into that's some case law that maybe would not qualify. But say they pass some regulation that restricts your ability to say develop your commercial property. Say you you had you had acquired the property with the expectation you're going to do X. And the government does something that says, no, now you can't. And you've now lost 50% of your market value of your property because of what the government's done. You have the option, the right to file an inverse condemnation case, also governed by statute. And then a lot of case law, both state and federal, to challenge that action. But we're not really doing inverse condemnations here. We'll, we'll save that for middle school. Back to elementary school here, fifth grade. Grammar school. Do we call things elementary school now? Grammar it's school. Been, it's been so long that I can't even remember. I was ever in grammar school. I was an elementary school kid, if I recall correctly. I don't know. You, you were in grammar school or some sort of other school for gifted and intelligent young children. But but anyways, government, when they're ready to take your property, you don't want to sell, they can file that combination. Now you're in court. You're in state civil court, common pleas. And, and how, how long does that process take? You know, so if they come knocking on my door and I say no... And I decide not to get an attorney. How long does that process take before they show back up with the bulldozers? In that's, a the, that's the, well, you, you don't, it depends on the project. And we get that question all the time from clients or how long will this case take? Um, or how long will the project take? And you just don't know. Oftentimes they can have some, the right of way agents usually will have some general insight as to the timing of construction, but sometimes they change. Sometimes the, they take your property and then the project never even goes forward. I mean, it, it, there, there's no guarantees and you have some other remedies in those situations. But for the case itself, you never know how long it lasts. You might settle early. Often you end up going to mediation, but frequently you can't go to trial and you actually have a, a, a priority, a statutory priority that you can get your case called at the top of the docket for eminent domain case. But, but often you end up doing a little, little discovery and you're, you're going to generally going to want to get your own appraisal. You're going to want to depose their appraisal appraiser rather, and maybe get to mediation, maybe get a trial. And then at, at trial, what are you, what would it, what would you argue? And now you represent and attorneys like you represent the landowners, correct? By and large, not all representation of, of mine has been landowners, but, but by and large it has been. And then what do you argue at trial? What are some of the issues at trial that you're, you're presenting? Is it, and is this a jury trial or is this always a bench trial? You is have the right. 
either you way. Right to a jury trial. Right to a jury trial. For our, for our listeners, I ask that because, and which most listeners know, if it's a completely based on law, that'll be likely a bench trial. And if there's factual issues, that's for the jurors to decide whether or not you know the facts apply to the law. So that was that's why I was asking that. But what are some of the- On that note, by the way, so inverse cases, whether or not there is a taking is the first part. That's a question of law for the judge. And it's kind of really you have bifurcated trials where the judge will determine whether or not a taking has occurred and then a jury can decide that the damages. If any. And explain, explain to the listeners a bifurcated trial since those aren't that. Sure. Common. Bifurcated trial, you basically have the judge do the first part and then you, you move on to a, a second part later. For in common, you know, you have jury can determine Damon judge determines whether as a matter of law, you know, contracts from breach or whatever it may be. And then, you know, jury would say what the damages are. And is what type of verdicts do you get? If there's a verdict for the defense, which would be yourself, correct? Well, yeah. If you're representing a landowner. We're referred to as the, so instead of plaintiff and defendant, Mm -hmm. you're going to have on your filing paperwork, it will say condemnor and landowner. And those are are your parties. The condemnor condemnor is the government. And then if you're representing the landowner, what is a landowner verdict like? Is it, if it's in favor of the landowner, is it landowner does not have to sell or could it be? No, it's just all about money. It's all okay. what's the, what's the fair market value? Because I guess the, the judge has already condemn, determined that well, they no, do. Saying, so when they condemn, when they file that condemnation notice, it's their property. They own it now. They, they file those pendants. There's a little process that goes through. Now they may not take possession right away, but once the case has been filed, the government now has the right to that property. And you can work through the timing of things to some extent. That's where lawyers can be very, obviously very helpful in kind of smoothing those issues out between government and landowner. But yeah, it's, it's the government's at the time of filing. Well, and we talk- deposits, so say they deposit that $5,000 for your lovely grass, you can go ahead and draw it down, for example. So even while the case is pending, you can go ahead and and, and take some of that money and go ahead and start using it pending mm-hmm. the outcome. And the outcome is solely about what is the fair market value for that. Now, what happens if they if they pay you the 5000 You agree that it's worth 5000 You take the 5000 You spend every nickel of it, and they, and they change their mind. The project falls apart. Is that just on the government, or can they seek that money? I don't know the answer to that question. That shouldn't never happen. Technically, you're only allowed to a 50% drawn down by statute. You can get up to 100% with a consent order. That shouldn't happen. Uh, Let me ask you this. We talked about litigation. We also talked about pre-litigation. And you said once they file that condemnation, it's kind of the government you know, controls. Yeah. Is there any negotiations beforehand, before they file it, where you can do any negotiation about that? Yeah, depends on the project. Sometimes you're able to maybe negotiate a slight change in plans so that they maybe route things a little bit different. That's really going to be dependent on what the project is. You have no right to that. They can take what they need to for their project, but you can always try to negotiate the, the scope of or the timing of the take. Well, there's one project. I have uh, several friends who are engineers and they're working on this. Yeah. This thing called Malfunction Junction, which everyone in Columbia, at least, but probably the state of South Carolina is well aware of. Malfunction Junction, what is that? Yeah, so your intersection of I-20 and 26, and it is a one of the biggest roadway projects in South Carolina history, certainly in Midlands history. It is a massive decade-plus-long project unclogging the, uh, the junction, the Malfunction Junction. The, so- not just that intersection of 20 and 26, but and they're adding extra 
all different types of lanes and overpasses and, and, and straighten a lot of things out, widenings, this, that, and the other. But it's running down from Colonial Life Boulevard, closer to downtown, all the way out past Harborson. It's a lot of arteries, Fernandina, Jamil Road, Bush, Broad River, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's a mega, mega big project with hundreds and hundreds of property tracks being directly impacted. Where Well, I just Googled malfunction junk because I was just aware of it. And then it popped up as... From the SCDOT oh, yeah. is Carolina Crossroads. Is that the name of the entire project? They've got a great, that's just the, you know, the moniker, Carolina Crossroads. Uh, and DOT has a great website for more information. You can also check out lewisbabcock.com for some more information, but you can also go to crossroads.com and see the full plans. Well, is, um, is this project approved or is it still yes, going? this is happening. And acquisitions are currently taking place. Some cases are already in condemnation in the courts. There's five phases and phases one and two are well underway as far as property acquisitions. Construction should be happening soon. It is a, like I said, a mega, mega project. And it'll it'll disrupt traffic for a decade. And like I said, hundreds of, of residential and commercial landowners will have their property directly either taken in part or in full. It is a, it is a big deal. And it'll be great for Columbia down the road. I mean, it, it will be a vast and needed improvement to our roadways, but it's going to be we'll be breaking eggs to make omelets, I think is what I tell my wife when she rolls her eyes at me, but it'll be a pain to get this thing done. Well, you talk, I'm looking at the map here and they have phases, as you mentioned, one through five and phase one looks like it is 26 or 126. And then phase five goes all the way to 26 at Broad River, Lake Murray Boulevard. Yeah. Are they... And it looks like phase four, they are widening the 26. So are they- Yeah, that's widening from on both Fernandina and Jamil on both sides, which for, if you're not in Columbia, do you care? But yeah, whatever. The specifics, I don't want to get too much of the weeds here, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a widening of 26 and adding on some frontage lanes and all that. And, it, and again, it'll be great down the road, but properties on both sides of the, of the highway are going to have, or the interstate are going to have significant strip takes. So we talked about at the beginning of this episode about which government takes, and you mentioned government, the different levels, and also government taking from government. Is that happening in this case as the DOT? And that's the first question. And secondly, do attorneys represent local governments in eminent domain when they're the landowner, or do they keep within their general counsel? Those are, those are, few and far between and then it depends on the, the, the governmental entity often they can kind of work it out themselves and, and cooperate together on that that's really not a big issue but it is all dot here this is all dot acquiring properties and yeah it, it'll uh this this could be a lot of cases it's gonna have be they finished have they finished acquiring the property yet or are they still knocking on doors no i'm not sure if they're oh they're definitely knocking on doors throughout and They've kind of jumped around phases. So even if you have property or know someone with property out in phase five, you may get a call sooner than later, or you may have already gotten a call. But they're making a, they're making some quick progress. They're they're trying to get this thing done. It's a, it's going to take a long time. It's a it's a huge scale, but they are they are they've made a good bit of dent on phases one and two and getting into three as well. Yeah, and I'm I'm fascinated. You know, I don't never done construction law or any property law, so I'm fascinated by. Just had the magnitude. I was talking to my engineer friend, and you know, yeah. the, they were their company was involved on another phase of it. But the amount of money, time, effort, and how long it'll how long is this supposed to take? 
It's huge. It, it, it really is massive. A, a decade plus. Is that um, assuming when you say a decade plus, can we assume yeah. that it's uh, might be a little bit more? Could be, you know, it's, it's, it's projects, especially governmental projects tend to get delayed here and there. I mean, everything's fully approved here, but you know, it's, it's like you said, it's complicated. There's a lot of engineering that goes into this. There's a lot of work that's going to go into this and yeah, government isn't always on time getting projects done. Well, we can, we can believe that. And well, we're coming towards the end of this episode and there's, you know, I, surprisingly, I got a lot more questions about him. I thought it would be, you know, well, I'd be going This is exciting, interesting stuff. The case law because is interesting. You're right. It is. It's not just property law. It's also constitutional law. And I forgot, you know, I'm so used to when I hear Fifth Amendment, it's always, as we talked about the previous episode, don't talk, you know, Miranda. And the Fifth Amendment, you know, also includes the, what is it, the unjust take, no unjust taking Look at you. Just, you're just you're just a it's constitutional scholar. This is great. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's good. Well, all right, we're, we're going to wrap up this episode, but we're going to do a second part on eminent domain because I think it's it's pretty interesting. The just the constitutional issues, the government issues, as well as just the infrastructure, and that's infrastructure is a big deal because not only is it from state, local, but the federal government plays a key part in that. And they're recently, as we speak, working on passing this. It went from the BIF. It is now the bid bipartisan infrastructure deal, whether ah, it happens or not. Yeah. But we're, are, we're, and we'll we'll save that. I see you want you got plenty to say. I want to say, we'll, man. I know we're way over time here, but yeah, from a practitioner side, just even the maps, it's fun as a lawyer practicing. I love the you get the big plan sheets and you're looking at the CAD files and you know all this, you know. When you're especially relocating utilities and, and, and digging through the topography of a property. Sometimes, you know, where is the extension pond going? Things that I thought would be boring or, or make for really novel and interesting challenges and litigation. So I guess this was the elementary school version of eminent domain. I, I, this, I love to talk about it. And uh, this fifth maybe we'll get to talk uh, a little, little higher education later. Well, this fifth grader is, is the smartest kid in his class. And so I just want to leave with one question. And and by the way, I'm just looking at this map. It's scdotcarolinacrossroads.com with more information. And that's just, I guess that's an independent or part of the SCDOT public yeah, information it's, it's campaign. SCDOT product. Yes, their project page. You can always call is, me too. You really need what is, what is the name Carolina Crossroads come from? What is that? Do you have, is that just a nice name? They want to make it sound nice. It's a nice name for discussion of a crossroads of I-2026. I, I guess it's better than Malfunction Junction. Yeah, yeah. Fixing Malfunction Junction doesn't have quite the same pleasant ring. And so so you handle eminent domain cases. You handle landowner properties at Lewis and Babcock. Is that correct? That is right, sir. Okay, well, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation. So we're going to wrap it up there, but we're going to have a second part on this. And Joe, do you have any uh, parting thoughts you'd like to leave our viewers on this episode fight for your rights man don't just take the first offer you know yeah take a careful look protect your interest and uh, thanks for joining us all right thank you guys we'll see you on the next episode